Well, let me encourage you, do pull out your message outline. And uh, if you've been with us for the last uh, three weeks, you know that we've been in this series called Thirst. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at ways in which we can accelerate our spiritual growth so that we, we won't be thirsty, spiritually thirsty. In other words, that we will be spiritually refreshed day by day as we grow in our relationship and our walk with Christ. Now this morning, I'm finishing off the series, and I want to talk about, well, I'll kind of build it like this, the surprising secret to spiritual growth. And it's something that you may not have thought about, that you, perhaps, that, that will make, help you grow. And maybe, as I've just sort of mentioned this, you might be thinking, well, he's going to talk about prayer, uh, or he's going to be talking about reading the Bible, and, and all those kinds of things. And all those things are good, and all those things are right and important. But, but this is kind of like, what I would argue, is the sort of the... The surprising secret. The surprising secret to spiritual growth that will help you grow. Well, what is it? Well, it is this. That serving others will help you grow faster, deeper, and in ways that you will only ever, ever experience if you serve. In other words, it's about making a contribution with your life and not being a consumer. Now, we live in a culture of consumers. We live in a culture of people who are used to getting what they want, uh, the way they want it delivered, it, delivered in the form in which they want it and in the mode and in the method that they want it. We live in a society where, it, where it's all about the consumer. But when that type of thinking enters the church, not only is it unbiblical, it is also devastating to a church's growth and ultimately it is devastating to people's spiritual growth. See, many people make choices in churches based on what they think they like. They, you come when, whenever you come, you float in, you float out, and we hope that we can scratch where you itch. The attitude is, it's about, well, what, what, what do I want? What is the church going to do for me? But that's not what the Bible teaches about church. Because, you see, the church is a fellowship. The church is a family. And... Until we understand this, we will be in some way stunted in our relationship and in our spiritual growth because this is so important to accelerate, to develop, to grow your spiritual life because church is not about me and what I want and what I need. It is about this. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he adds in a second one. He says, and the second is like it, very similar to it, almost identical to it. Love your neighbour as yourself. We are to love God and love others. You've heard me say this so many times because life is all about love. Because God is love, the most important lesson he wants you to learn on earth is how to love, to love well. In other words, learning to love unselfishly, which is not easy, is it? Because it runs counter, counter to our self-centred nature. We all are quite self-centred at times. And yet, that's why the church is like the classroom, if you like, for practicing unselfish love. You get to practice in the church family. And when you care about others before your own needs, not only are you then obeying Jesus' commandment to love God, but you're also obeying his second com commandment to love others. And as you do that, what it will do, in fact, it will accelerate your spiritual growth in ways 
you won't fully understand until you serve. So I want to show you this morning, God's path to spiritual growth is through service. And as I show this to you, please catch this. This is not kind of me bringing an angle at you this morning. This is not my path to spiritual growth. This is right out of the Bible. It's the path that will accelerate your spiritual life. And it's also the path that will lead you to significance. See, when God walked on the earth as Jesus, he taught that significance is not tied to to wealth and to fame or or to power, all the things that the world values. Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you want to be great, you can be great. You know you want to be great. You want to be significant. If you want meaning, I want you to have meaning. I've created you to fulfil your meaning, but it comes in a radical package. Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want meaning, if you want significance, you can have it. But it's radical. Here it is, he says, serve. Now, anybody else disappointed by that? That that is the recipe for greatness? Greatness comes as service? I mean, if I was God, I'd have picked something else, if I'm honest. Thankfully, I'm not. But, you see, the route, the route to significance is paved with service, loving and serving others. And what I want to do this morning is I want to sort of take you on a quick tour and just build my case and show you where I'm getting this out of the Bible so that you can better understand this. In fact, this was the life message and teaching of Jesus. Follow on your outline, because the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus himself served. Jesus served others. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 29, For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many. And you only have to read through the Gospel accounts, and you will see that Jesus was always helping and healing and stopping and serving other people. He was putting other people before himself, That's what service is. Serving was his primary existence. And Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come for you to serve me, although I could have made you. I am the king of kings ultimately. But I didn't come so that I would be served, that you would serve me. No, I came instead to serve, to serve you. And he moves serving from the distant to the personal. The king of kings shatters the stereotype of what royalty is all about. He says, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to flip things upside down. I'm going to show you what radical really is all about. I'm here to serve, to serve you. So first of all, Jesus served. Secondly, Jesus taught about serving. And he does this time and time again. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, you will see him giving examples and teaching and illustrations of what it is to serve. I guess one of the famous passages in Mark 9 is when Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, well, they were having an argument. They were arguing about something. In fact, it says here, verses 33-35, on the way, the disciples argued about who was going to be the greatest. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Jesus is there with them. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus sat down and called them around him and said, anyone wanting to be the greatest must be the least, the servant of all. Notice what he does here. He links greatest with servant. 
And Jesus' closest followers were having this almost childlike argument. You know how it goes, don't you? I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, I'm the favourite. No, you're an idiot. I'm not. And two, no, I'm not. And you can imagine, can't you, them going on almost like little kids <laughs> arguing. Ridiculous. Jesus sits them down. And what he does is he ties greatness, not to what the world thinks greatness is, he ties greatness to serving. The problem is, is if you've been around church a long time, that, should, that doesn't shock you, but it should. It was stunning 2,000 years ago. It's stunning today if you really stop and think about it. So Jesus talked about it. Thirdly, Jesus used parables and stories to illustrate serving. Now, you don't need to know anything about church or God to, to know the story of the Good Samaritan. Most people know this story. It's taught all around the world. And if you read it in Luke 10, it, it almost starts off like a 21st century joke, doesn't it? You know, there's a priest, there's a Jew, and there's a despised Samaritan. Um, that's what it kind of starts as. Look, it says, verse 33 to 34, a despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man. Now, if you don't know the story, what's happened is, is that the man, he'd been beaten up, he'd been robbed, he'd been kind of left for dead, and there was these other people, people that should have helped him, didn't help him, they walked past him. But this despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Now what's so stunning about this is that the Samaritan and the Jew, the Jew was a man who had been beaten up, they hated each other, they didn't want anything to do with each other. And yet this Samaritan goes and helps this guy almost his enemy, if you like, and he goes and helps him. And Jesus goes on to ask, he says, well, what made this man good then? Well, it was saw a, he saw a need, and he met that need. He served that man. He put that person before himself. And then in verse 37, Jesus said, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's serving. And then fourthly, Jesus models service. And this is really important. Jesus does all of those things, but he also models service. Now, you go to the final hours of the life of Jesus. He knows that he's about to be hung on a cross. He knows he's going to be crucified. He pulls all of his closest friends together, all of his disciples, his followers, the 12 of them. He gathers them together for one final meal. And in, and in John 13, all the way through to 17, in fact, these are the last words of Jesus. And he wants to encourage his followers. He wants to build them up and challenge them and to get them to think about some things. And so he says this, particularly here in John 13, verses 1 through 15. Jesus knew the hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, let's just press pause for a minute here. The feet washing kind of thing always rattles my cage a little bit. Feet washing was not unusual in that culture. Not unusual for a servant or a slave to do that. It, it was what, what happened. It was kind of the cultural norm. But it was highly, highly unusual for a teacher, for a respected leader, for a rabbi to do this, which is what Jesus was. 
of all the things you could leave your very last message with your closest friends, why the feet? I mean, why feet? I mean, let's be honest, feet are nasty, aren't they? I mean, we've all been in a room, haven't we, where someone takes off their shoes and their feet really stink. And it's just a matter of time before, before you have this gag reflex, don't you? I mean, think about present day. We, we've got fragrances and perfumes and odour eaters and feet still stink, don't they? Well, rewind the clock 2,000 years ago. There are no pavements, no manicured lawns. It was dirt. It was camel droppings. It was walking through all of that kind of stuff. So when Jesus got up to wash their feet, it was a shock. I mean, why not brush their hair instead? I mean, why not pull out a chair or open a door with a smile? Why doesn't he say, go do that? Because it wasn't strong enough. It was too easy, too distant, too simple, too on the surface. Because when you wash somebody's feet, that's big, isn't it? Imagine if I had a bucket and a sponge and I came up to you and I said, I want to wash your feet. Some of you are feeling a bit uncomfortable now. I mean, you just imagine. imagine I mean, no, horrible. No, feet are horrible, aren't they? You'd like, this is, uh, this is awkward. This is embarrassing for me, embarrassing for you. No one would want me to do that. But think about it. In the last words of Jesus, he says to them, guys, I'm leaving. Uh, and the last message I want you to get, and you've heard me speak and preach, you've seen me do things for the last three years, you've walked with me for three years, you've seen everything I'm, I've done, I'm going to send you home with, a, with an object lesson, as it were, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this forever. And then he drove the point home even deeper, when later on he hangs on the cross to serve all of humanity to pay for my sins and for your sins. You see, the feet washing thing was really just the beginning of Jesus' examples because he knew what was coming. He says, this is love. You serve. And then he showed them and shows us the greatest demonstration of love and servant-heartedness and serving when he dies on a cross. See, for Jesus, serving wasn't just a good idea. It was the main idea. And as you study the gospel, you, you just can't escape it. I can't get away from the fact that, that, that this is the primary challenge for those of us who are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. You want to accelerate your spiritual growth? You must serve. Serving is the primary method that God changes you into the likeness of Jesus Christ because he served. That when you serve, you're being transformed into his character because you are never more like Jesus than when you serve. But we live in the 21st century. This is 2022. So let me ask you then, why, why is serving so hard? Why do we find it so difficult? Here's a couple of reasons. Time. We're selfish. We're busy. Pride, well, it takes humility to serve, to put someone before ourselves. Lazy, well, we put ourselves first. I tell you why we have a hard time serving. It's because it's so much nicer when other people serve me. It really is, being honest. Serving others is difficult because we're often selfish, aren't we? I mean, I'll admit it, I'm selfish. I mean, I like me. 
I like me a lot. I mean, I like you, but I just don't like you as much as I like me. But we're all like that, aren't we? I have this awareness that selfishness is a fatal disease and I have an extreme case of it, as do you. And I'll tell you why I admit that. Because I'm convinced that until you admit that at the core of who you are, that you are selfish, you are resistant to serve. And until you're willing to admit that, I don't think you're open for change. I don't think you're open for this whole process of, of what God does in and through people when they serve. And I think it starts there. I think it starts with the heart issue. And you've got to admit that the reason it's so difficult, if I'm really honest, if you're really honest, is that you and I, we are selfish. And when I talk about serve, I'm not talking about, like, I don't know, baking cakes for a church event. You know, you bake cakes, you send them in, and you go, serve, yep, tick, did that one, what's next? No, I'm not talking about that. No, I'm talking about this being a part of your life. I'm talking about this being so part of you that you have this this attitude and the actions of a servant that it just flows out of you, that that it is your character, that it becomes a part of your lifestyle. It's not something that you do for, say, an hour a week. it's, It's actually who you are. Your life becomes one of service, and not out of obligation, but out of desire, out of worship, out of lifestyle. Now, how do we get there? Because it, it is a battle, isn't it? This is not kind of easy spiritual growth message this morning. This is a challenge. This is hard. This is a battle because we're battling with our selfish inner nature that we all have. And I don't have this thing mastered. But I think here are two principles about serving from obligation to lifestyle that I think might help you. First of all, I must choose obedience over convenience. If you, if you want serving to be part of your character, you have to choose obedience over convenience. Now, a lot of Christians, they want the benefits of being a Christ follower. Uh, they want the perks. They, they want their prayers answered. They, they want forgiveness. They, they want the security of eternal life. They want the power of God that comes with the presence of God. And that's all good. But a lot of us don't want the cost to those benefits. What is the cost? Well, the cost is obedience. What is obedience? Well, obedience is doing what God wants me to do even when it's not convenient. That's what obedience is. And let me show you a great picture of obedience. It's when Jesus was going to find his disciples, uh, the people that were going to journey with him throughout his earthly ministry, and he comes to some fishermen in Matthew 4, verses 19 to 22. Jesus called out to them, "'Come be my disciples.'" And they left their nets at once and went with him. Notice that. You might even want to circle those words, at once. Notice that's obedience. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, mending their nets. He called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Again, notice that word immediately. You might want to circle that in that verse. Notice the two words here, at once and immediately. That is obedience. Now follow with me on this. If I'm a follower of Christ and God's presence is in my life, with his presence I have his power. Uh, Then I'm faced with decisions all the time. 
My goal, my dream, the type of Christ follower I want to be is that when I see a service opportunity, an opportunity to serve, that my nature will be so much like Christ that at once and immediately I would serve. I would take that opportunity and I would serve. That is obedience. Now, I fail at that a lot as do you. Because many times, you and I, we choose convenience over obedience. Now, if you were to study this passage here in Matthew 4, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but let's be honest, leaving a life of fish, is that really a big deal? But but just stop and think about it. Those fishermen probably had a very convenient life. It was stable. It was a a family business. It was putting food on the table. It was predictable. They knew every day what they were going to do. Bait the hook, cast it out, tell a fishing joke. Why do you fish for the halibut? It improves my herring. Whatever it is, you know. Jesus, you see, challenges them. He challenges them to follow him immediately. And he challenges their convenience when he says, follow me. And they choose to obey. Now, obedience is a big word. But I want you to notice the other big word that actually I didn't get you to fill in, but it's there on the outline as that first that point there. It's that big word, choose. I have to choose to obey. Now, let me just take you on a a little theological aside for a second. I'm not going to assume that everybody understands free will, so let me give you just a a two-minute mini-seminar on free will. Free Free will means this, that God loves you so much that he didn't want to make you a puppet or a robot. God is not in heaven directing our every move with, like, kind of pulling strings. No, he loves us. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to give you the freedom to choose. You have free will. And in that free will, you and I, we can choose to obey or we can choose to disobey. Now the key word is choose. That's where obedience comes in. Obedience requires me to choose God's way, that I have a choice. And when I choose God, God does his work in my life. So follow with me here. If, if we're going to accelerate our spiritual growth, when I'm convenient, when I'm living this comfortable life, I don't change. And neither do you. Comfort is the same as convenience. So when I'm comfortable, I don't grow. I'm not challenged. I grow when I'm challenged, when I'm pushed, when I'm stretched. Then I grow. That's when God moulds me and changes me. So, so let's be real honest, if we want to be honest about our lives, we, we all want to see change, we all want to see things happen and develop in our own lives, we, we don't want to stay the same. So when we sin or, or when we make mistakes, it, if we're really honest, it grieves us. We know we've messed up, we know we've blown it and it grieves us. When we sin over things we've been sinning over for years, we go, oh man, come on, again? I should be a more more mature follower of Christ by now. Why do I give in to it again? What is wrong with me? And it grieves us. We so badly want to change. But we also love convenience, don't we? And convenience is often at odds with obedience. And Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, 
obey my commandments. Wow. So you're saying, Jesus, that, that, that love for you is qualified by my obedience. Not my love for you in the sense of all the other things in my life and reading my Bible and praying and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but you're saying actually that, that, that real love, it's not a feeling, real love is quantified by obedience. Let me tell you something for a minute. Some people don't like this type of preaching. I've met people over the years who say, I don't think that type of teaching is theological. It's not deep enough. Everybody has their own definition of what deep is. So if you teach just two verses of the Bible and you stand those two verses for six weeks, that's deep. If, um, if you use the Greek word for pancake and throw in a little bit more Greek, well, that's really deep as well. You certainly don't use humour. You certainly don't use application. Let me tell you what deep is. What the Bible teaches as deep is obedience. That's deep teaching. Jesus says, if you really love me, you will obey me. And in fact, in Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus answers a comment from the crowd. He replied, but even more blessed, even more joyful, even more life fulfilled are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. That's obedience. And Jesus knew what he was asking when he said, follow me. It wasn't an invitation to convenience. And by the way, it's still not an invitation to convenience. And if you're here and you're checking out the whole, investigating the whole God thing, you're, you're checking it all out and you're kind of wondering, you're curious, you're seeking, and I really respect you for being here. And we value the fact that you're here and don't miss the next series coming up called Purse of Interest as we kind of dig into all of that sort of stuff. But if, you, if you're wondering about who God is and you're seeking, I just want you to know God's ways are not convenient and they're not easy. I mean, it's the best way to live. It's the best life to live being a follower of Christ, to know Christ as your Lord and your Saviour. But living that life at times is costly. It ain't easy at times. God's ways, if you follow him, there are odds with the world's way, you see. I mean, the world way says, hate your enemies. But God's way says, no, 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 no. Love your enemies. In fact, pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. Wow. That's a tough verse for those Christians living in Ukraine at the moment, isn't it? But if they really are obedient to Scripture and God's ways they will be doing that. The world's way say, hey, look, take revenge. When, when somebody hurts you, you get your own back. You get your own revenge. And God says, no, 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 turn the other cheek. The world's way says, make yourself number one. It's all about you. It's what you want. God's way says, no, no. God says, you put me number one. That I'm number one in your life. Do you see how costly that is? Do you see how inconvenient that can be at times? Do you see how challenging that is? Do you see how deep that is? If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. And so serving is going to be part of my lifestyle. I must choose obedience over convenience. And the second thing I want to give you 
And that, well, actually, they go hand in hand, but I've broken them down so we can talk about them separately. But really, it's one and the same. I choose obedience over convenience, and secondly, I look for opportunities to serve. Do you remember? This is all about growing in our spiritual walk, in our walk with Christ. In other words, as I look for opportunities to serve, I begin to train myself. Really, that's what I'm asking you to do. It, it, begin training yourself, begin training yourself to looking for opportunities to serve. Now somebody says, well, where can I serve? Here's the simple answer to that. Everywhere. You see, serving is not about recognition because according to the Bible, you don't get credit if you serve for other people to see anyway. If you serve for the recognition of others, that's not part of your lifestyle. That doesn't come flowing out of you naturally if you're looking for credit of recognition. We don't kind of serve when nobody knows. We don't like that, but, but that's what the Bible says. No, no, you serve out of obedience because if it's about credit, if it's about recognition of what other people think you're doing, you will miss many opportunities for God to transform you into his likeness. Some of the, some of the greatest ways... God changes us is when we serve and nobody recognises. Nobody says thank you. I'm not saying you shouldn't say thank you, you should. But there are times when we serve where nobody knows what we're doing. The quiet service that goes on behind the scenes. But it's actually where God really does that transforming work in our life. So, so let's get real practical. How can you start serving here at CEC? Well, I encourage you to start looking at all the small things. How about just looking behind the scenes? What I want to just say to you is just, just serve. Start small. Go behind the scenes. Have you, for example, have you ever wondered how these chairs get put out every week? They don't magically get out, by the way. Or how they get put away again. There's a team of people that come in and do this, who faithfully do this. You wonder who buys the tea and coffee? Who orders the toilet rolls for the loo? You ever thought about what it, who it is that cleans the church? Who it is that replaces a light bulb that's blown? See, there are all these things that go on each week. Different things go on. There are people serving right now, doing my laundry, ironing my shirts, things like that. I mean, it's a lovely ministry that got some of you going, what, what? I wish. There are many people who do things behind the scenes. And there are opportunities for you to serve at CEC. You know, we advertise them on the bulletin on a regular basis. And the reason sometimes they're on there for a long time is because nobody's stepped up. And that's not to beat you up. Because, as I said, serving is not about serving through obligation. You serve because you know that actually you will grow spiritually. You see, for those of you who really do want to accelerate your spiritual growth, you've got to serve. It, it, it's got to be part of who you are. Get off the sidelines, get in the game. And as I said, I'm not talking about stuff you do out of obligation. I'm talking about you do stuff out of obedience. You see a need and you meet it. That's the equation for significance. And nothing when you serve is insignificant, by the way. That famous verse that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, he said, if you give even a cup of cold water, how easy and simple and small is that, to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now, I don't, I don't claim to fully understand God's reward system, but I've read it enough in the Bible to know that there is such a thing as rewards, that God rewards those who serve. M maybe the rewards are early rewards in terms of significance. 
Heavenly rewards? Yes, there are heavenly rewards, even though I'm not exactly sure how all that works out. One day we'll find out. But there is a reward system. I mean, that's one of the benefits and some of the perks of being a servant. But, but you don't start with that motive. You start out of obedience. If you love me, you will obey me, says Jesus. So on your outline, I, I put on there a challenge. And I want to challenge you to evaluate and to write a list. And only you can do this for yourself. So first of all, evaluate. You might not ask yourself this question. Um, does my lifestyle reveal that I serve from obedience? Maybe that could be some homework for you this week. Think about that. Pray about that. Hey, listen, maybe ask somebody close to you, that, do I do that? That's an interesting conversation. But does my life reveal that I serve out of obedience? And then secondly, write a list. Maybe evaluate your life and make a list. Let's call, it I, let's call it I could have list. The I could have list is that you see opportunities that you missed and you begin making a list. And that's not make yourself feel bad, but this is just, for example, um, I could have sat nearer to the church, the front of the church, and left the rear seats for people, new people, or those people who came late. But you know what? I feel so much more comfortable sitting at the back. And it's now got my rear print in this seat, and it's nice and warm, and... So you go, okay, I missed that one, but it's all right. I just write, I could have. Or, or, or you walk out and you see some chairs that actually could do with being stacked, and you think, ah, well, somebody else will get that. And then you walk by them, and you just mm-mm, think about it, I, I could have. And you just, what you do is you just begin making a list of all those places where you could have served, not just at, at church, but in other areas of your life where there were opportunities that God clearly gave to you, but you missed them because of other reasons. And you then write this list, and then you start going through it day by day. And then maybe you think, okay, I'm going to serve today, just a little thing without recognition. And then maybe I'll do that a couple of times this day, and three times a day, and four times. And then you begin doing it hourly, and then it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your character. Because when you realise what you've missed doing, it challenges you, and then you start seeing the opportunities that God gives you. And then it becomes part of your lifestyle, becomes your character. And then you're on a way to being more like Christ. That's why I said at the very beginning of this message that this is the surprising secret to spiritual growth. That in serving you will grow faster, deeper and in ways that you will only ever experience when you serve. And I pass that on to you because I think you need to understand that this is really important. That in the quietness of your soul, you know that the chase for wealth and success is not really what's going to matter. It's not what's going to last. What is important? Well, Jesus said it in Mark 8.35. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. Jesus says, your drive for significance, your drive for meaning, I want that for you. In fact, I put that in your DNA, he says. But there is a better way to get it than what the world says. The right way is to serve. That's why significance comes from serving others. That's why serving others will accelerate your spiritual growth like nothing else. And the great thing is this, we can do this together. Remember I've said all along, spiritual growth is not a Lone Ranger thing. It's a group project. And one of the great ways you can do that is when you serve together, serving shoulder to shoulder in the work of the kingdom of God. That's where you make the greatest difference. Kingdom God work. And you know what? 
I know of nothing, nothing more exciting than that. Serving the King of Kings. If you love me, you will obey me, says Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for just uh, another day to be alive. And we don't want to be the same when we walk out of here. So we thank you for the Bible that we can learn from and be challenged from and figure out how we can live your way. And in the silence of our soul, we, we, we admit our selfishness. We admit our desire for convenience. And yet, Lord, I know there is a high percentage of hearts in here that you know that want lifestyles of obedience, to obey what you have called us to. So, Lord, as we pray, we ask for the courage that we will take those opportunities as we see them, that as we serve, that you would keep your promise and transform us into your likeness so that our lives will look more like Jesus. And as we serve, you would grow us spiritually in ways we would never have imagined. Please, Lord, accelerate our growth as we serve. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.